KUT's AT Explained is back with a brand new season. Our first episode, what's up with that tower in Clarksville? I've heard it called the Clarksville Eiffel Tower, the tower, the leaning tower of Clarksville, all those names. Subscribe to AT Explained wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget our next AT Explained live show at the Paramount Theater on April 3rd. Brand new stories told live on stage. Get your tickets at austintheater.org. Support for AT Explained Live comes from Meals on Wheels Central Texas and World in Interiors. From KUT and KUTX Studios. I'm Carrie Fountain, and this is Just to Say, where we talk to poets about the poems they create and the poems that created them. That kind of joy or delight in, in language pushes me along. This is Chen Chen, and I'm reading my poem called Poem. Racked by doubt, but not yet wrecked by it. I pray to the microwave, the crisper drawer, the lemony dish soap, please fish me out of this funk so I can stop puttering around the kitchen, scarfing fries, chips, every man-made form of potato, including mashed, even stuffed, doubled over by dour. But not yet doomed to it, I mope with some hope, desperately open to the dinkiest sign, trace of sensation, confession. I've succumbed to the starch. I've worn the same band tee four days in a row. No one outside the apartment to see. And here you might plead, but wait, and beg, but what about your lover, your recent career luck? And I'd reply, don't you know I hate the words career and lover? I thought you were my best friend but you're just a paperback copy of Madame Bovary I haven't been able to finish. I've been putting off her suicide for weeks now. It's unbearable to know how someone will die, even a made-up someone who does unlikable things. It's awful knowing how and when and a large portion of why. And really, boyfriend isn't much better. It sounds like we're still preparing for junior prom when we live together. And his mother has no white blood cells because the chemo that's killing the cancer is also killing her. And I should be praying for her. And sometimes I do, but mostly it's for me. The least I could do is not droop and wilt like a bad houseplant. It doesn't give people any strength, this sad, endlessly selfish syntax. Though maybe it's getting better. I used to think I knew how I would die, all tragic like Emma Bovary, but without all the adultery in carriages, and probably not in provincial France. And not that I now believe it's selfish to kill yourself, I don't know, don't want to know, how anyone will die or when. Though I like to know generally why, our lives pathetically brief, compared to the bowhead whale, the baobab tree. Perhaps partner is close to what I mean, but it sounds so unsexy. I like to sound sexy again, and strong. Last week, when his mother had a break from chemo, she went beeline to the grocery, craving the most unhospital of ingredients, hungering to make some real thing and hot, but she couldn't touch anything which could get her sick, which was potentially everything. No, I don't want anyone to die, except Cheney and racist cops and certain Wall Street bastards and the guy who called me a fag and laughed, but they will die, and you and I don't want to know how the book ends, that the book ends. I should pick up the phone and call my mother, ask her about her little vegetable vegetable patch out back if she's planted any more eggplants. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about the way this poem begins. I go back and back to the beginning lines, racked by doubt, but not yet wrecked by it. I mean, part of this poem is a sort of pep talk. (laughs) The speaker is trying to, to give himself. And I often feel like I I start that way, where 
I'm not starting from a place of great strength or resilience or joy, but I'm trying to maybe write myself there and through the process, rediscover some of those more enlivening aspects of myself or or the world around me. And so part of how I do that is uh, this focus on sound. And so even when I'm in this sort of stuck place, I still want the the music of the language to come through. So the kind of alliteration that's happening in those lines, that kind of joy or delight in, in language pushes me along, even when there's this, this feeling of stuckness that, that I'm exploring. I love what you said about starting and trying to write yourself into the poem or into, you know, maybe whatever the poem is going to tell you rather than sort of starting um, from a position, as you said, like a position, like a, a strong position or like a position of knowing. Um, I think one of that's one of the things that, I, that really draws me to your your work, that there is an unknowing and, you know, it reflects the unknowing in all of us, you know. It's just, I just kind of trust um, these poems and I want to go wherever they're going to take me. I think my, I, I recommended you your so book. Much. I recommended your book to a friend and um, I'm looking it up because I want to see what he said. Mm, yes, he said it's so, so funny. He said a lot of wonderful things, but he described it as being funny and exact, which I love, you know, and it's so true. There's something so exacting about especially your use of image upon image upon image you know thing upon thing upon thing in especially like this poem and the way that you can kind of course back and forth um and and weave these many threads there's there's madame bovary there's um the the speaker's boyfriend's mother having cancer there's the sort of mood of the poet and all of these you know these these um, strands get more and more tightly uh, wound as they go. It's just really magnificent. I really love it. I loved... Thank you so much. When I was reading your book, and I don't do this with every p- book of poems, but I almost read the entire book out loud to myself. Um, <laughs> maybe that's partly because I'm like never alone in my home because I have two children who are always there, <laughs> always there and needing something. Um, but I, so I, you know, read it over the course mm-hmm. of a day and I just couldn't resist the temptation to read it. And I wonder, I wanted you to talk about how you compose and if while you're composing, you're doing a lot of speak, you know, the, if you're speaking into the room or just, can you tell me a little bit about how you tend to compose? Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I think I tend to start off in complete silence. <laughs> uh, I know other folks might have like music playing in the background or they can work somewhere a little more noisy, but I tend to need to just be really quiet uh, at first and just sit uh, with the page or really, yeah, in front of a screen and uh, to write. But uh, much later in the process, after I have um, a solid draft or two, uh, and when I'm starting to 
move pieces around uh, or uh, cut and replace uh, parts of the poem, then uh, yeah, I'll I'll be reading it out loud at that at that stage, and getting a, a better feel for the rhythm overall, and yeah, with each sub subsequent draft, I will, I will read it out loud uh, many times, and uh, lately because I've been doing all these readings. Uh, different schools, uh, different festivals, uh, I will kind of practice uh, these poems, these newer poems, kind of like a comedian with his act, I guess. Uh, so I'll, I'll try out the, the new material, so to speak, and I'll get ideas for um, edits. And at that point, it's, it's usually smaller tweaks that I want to make. Uh, but, but hearing it out loud in front of other people, uh, for some reason, that also uh, sparks something, something new in how I'm seeing and hearing the poem. Yeah, that's so cool. The idea that you could be composing, you know, your new work uh, on on while you're performing it, and I wonder if when yeah. you say you're, you know, you're practicing the poems aloud, are you also seeing? how the audience are you editing or revising by way of like how the audience responds or I mean does the audience have anything to do with it or are you, are you just sort of like saying that you're practicing reading them aloud well it's interesting with poems and I think the use of humor in poems uh because of kind of the the popular perception of of poetry still which I think it is that it's uh, you know this more serious, lofty endeavor, uh, and so I've I've read in front of audiences where they really weren't sure if it was okay to laugh, <laughs> and I could sort of see that on on people's faces, or there would be this kind of nervousness in the room. And once, like someone else, uh, you know, made more noise in the room, then other people felt more comfortable doing so. So I don't think it's uh, such a reliable gauge of you know whether the poem was working or specifically whether the, whether the humor is working in the poem. Uh, just going by audience response, because it will be very different um, from from audience to audience, depending on their perception of poetry and sort of what they come into the room expecting or or feel ready for. Um, so, so yeah, I don't really think about it in terms of that. Uh, it's, it's more an internal thing that happens, uh, where, um, I'm in front of, of other people, of, of, uh, I'm in front of strangers and, uh, have to, you know, share, uh, something new. And so it feels, it feels quite vulnerable. And I guess it's, it's a, it's a weird combination, uh, that I'm trying to reach where, Simultaneously, I feel confident in the language of the poem, but I feel vulnerable in the kind of emotion or, or question being explored in, in the poem. So it, it, it has to be both of those things. I want to talk about the humor in, your, in these poems, because not every book of poems has humor in it. <laughs> yeah. Just stating... Uh, the obvious but I um right. <laughs> I was well, yeah uh I was just thinking as I was driving over here about your 
poems and about, you know, I want to know um, a lot of things about how you think and how you work with humor. But it just really occurred to me that like humor is an instinctual thing, you know, much like poetry is an instinctual thing. But, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like sleeping, like you can, you can't, you can't learn really how to, you can't gain a sense of humor, really, you know, it's like something that's Mm -hmm. very instinctual. And um, I just love the humor in these poems. And I think my, uh, when I, like I said, I, my students and I read these together, and, and I think they really did as well. And I would love you to tell me how, um, like, who, who are your influences in that vein? And I don't necessarily, maybe they're not, mm-hmm. nec- not only poets. So just where do yeah. you find yourself, like, you know, in the, uh, gravitating toward in the world of humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So among poetic influences, uh, I would certainly count uh, poet Sarah Gambito. It's a wonderful, wonderful poet, uh, one of the co-founders of Kundiman, which is an organization that supports uh, Asian American writers. Um, and She's just, I mean, brilliant in so many ways as, as a poet, as a community builder. Um, but her poems just have this this pulse and this uh, absurdity <laughs> to them um, that I so appreciate. But I, I feel uh, like I recognize and I feel recognized uh, by the poems uh, for how they, they connect uh, humor or, or the other source of humor comes from really um, uh, immigrant families um, and immigrant experiences and humor as this kind of coping mechanism for uh, the struggles um, that you know many immigrant families go through, but um, also as, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, this, this source of real strength um, and joy as well. Um, so, you know, not, not always in, in response to, to hardship, um, but as this, as this sort of reservoir of a feeling, of really deep feeling. Um, so I return to her, to her work, uh, often. I think, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read one of her poems at the, at the end of this conversation. Um, someone else, uh, one of my, uh, uh, my best friend, uh, Sam Herschel Wine, uh, another uh, wonderful poet uh, based in Chicago. Um, and uh, we run a journal together called Underblong. Um, and I think the journal really came about uh, from all these conversations that we had that were um, about kind of the literary landscape um, and publishing, but also um, our, our shared sense of humor. Um, which also, I think, uh, has this very absurd sensibility and a kind of queer sensibility, a shared queer sensibility as well. Um, So those two come to mind. Um, And then outside of poetry, there's this great Australian YouTuber uh, named Nally Tran, uh, who's had this YouTube channel, community channel, for uh, I think over 10 years now. She doesn't uh, update it very much anymore, but... 
um, I mean, in, in its heyday, her videos were getting, you know, millions of views. Um, and she still uh, maintains a very funny social media presence. And I just love how kind of dark and sardonic and um, wry, but insightful um, a lot of her humor is. Uh, so, yeah, the, those are those are some important influences. It's always struck me as seeming like poems and jokes are similarly constructed. Mm -hmm. You know, in a joke at the end, the punchline is predicated on the listener having an expectation mm -hmm. for how something is going to end yeah. and then mm -hmm. upending that. Um, and I, I feel so much of that, like even in, in this poem, you know, there's so yeah. many moments, you know, I pray even the like, even it's just in the, you know, starts out in the second line, racked by doubt, but not yet wrecked by it. I pray to the microwave, the crisper drawer, the lemony dish soap, please fish me out of this funk so I can stop puttering around the kitchen, scarfing fries, chips, every man made form of potato, including mashed, even stuffed doubled over you know it's like the, you know there's it's just this sort of you know pray, you know I, I you start with pray mm -hmm. and you end with the microwave and you know it's i just i i'm always yeah. just so interested in how humor works in poems and um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i really love that in this in this piece yeah well i mean i think about line breaks um in particular in mm. that piece um and just the nature of line breaks, how you can create uh, suspense and then surprise um, in, uh, yeah, in the sentence, um, line by line, um, because you have these, these pauses. Um, and um, I just, I, I love uh, that, um, how that, how that can work in a poem. Yeah. This being your first book of poems, tell me about the experience of, you know, um, you know, when you, you have a manuscript and you can like in your mind know the number of people who have that book in their hands. <laughs> you can yeah. control it in that way. Right. Um, and then oh. it's published and it goes out in the world and, you know, people in dif distant lands um, find connection with it yeah. and come to you and say, oh, you spoke, you know, you spoke my heart. But then also, you know, your family reads it and your, you know, people in your in your life read it. And tell me a little bit about how it's been having this book, which, I mean, seems a lot about um, identity and being a self and mm -hmm. coming into a self. How has it mm -hmm. been having this book go out into the world? Yeah, I'm still kind of surprised, astonished, uh, whenever someone tells me uh, uh, that they've read my book, even <laughs> even at readings afterward, um, when someone is already familiar with my work, um, a student who, you know, is saying, "Oh, we we read it in in my class this semester," or or they just happen to to find it on their own. Um, yeah, it's it's really incredible to me because, 
in some ways it's it still feels like you know just this this word doc that I had on my computer um and yeah so I feel this um kind of private sense of attachment to it still but um yeah I felt a great deal of anxiety uh letting go of it uh in 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 the final stages of um preparing it and and sending it to my publisher in fact uh we went through four rounds of proofs because I kept making very small <laughs> edits and tweaks and uh in fact uh uh the publisher um who is wonderful um but uh at one point in our email conversation uh he told me you know usually uh by the time an author uh gets you know that that first set of proofs that that's basically it <laughs> so yeah he was and uh the press was just very generous and and patient <laughs> with me i think in part because it, w- it was the first book and they could see how how anxious i was about uh getting everything right or just reaching <laughs> that point where um i ha- i had to let it go um i i do have uh highly perfectionist tendencies and so, yeah, I, I think I, I proofread just my acknowledgments uh, a dozen times or more. And I was so nervous about uh, misspelling someone's name um, when acknowledging them or not getting the alphabetical order right uh, when when listing everyone. So, yeah, I, uh, I lost sleep over it, in fact. Um, so it... it was it was a struggle and uh friends <laughs> had to uh kind of uh console me and uh tell me you know like it's it's okay <laughs> um even if like there is you know some random typo somewhere and i was like but no there can't be um so yeah it it was it was its own process um after after really the the work of writing it there there was this other process of, mm. of letting it go and how about your family's re- reaction? I mean, was were you oh, like a families. you know yeah. was you like a secret so, poet or did mm-hmm. they were they what were they, what was their response? There have been stages of that as well because um, a couple poems from this this book um, first appeared in a chapbook. Um, actually, there are two chapbooks, but mainly this this one called. Um, Set the Garden Fire, which came out in 2015, um, if I remember correctly. Um, and um, yeah, my uh, my parents uh, had a copy of that. Um, and the poems in, in that chapbook were already, you know, very, very personal. Um, and then, and then, yeah, and they have a copy of my book now, or they, they've had it for a while. Um, but it's not something we've talked about um a whole lot in terms of the content of the book. Um, I think mainly because a lot of what I've written about here, um, it's already been many years and we've had many difficult conversations around um, my coming out, my sexuality, 
relationships, um, um, and and yeah, just our our dynamic overall. Um, I wouldn't say that we've worked through all of it. I think it's it's still complicated. It's still a work in progress, as I think you know many um, families and um, you know, relationships between parents and their children are. Um, you know, it's not um, very neat and tidy. Um, but yeah, they had they haven't um, brought up the the content of the poems very much. They tend to focus on um, sort of uh, the the external systems of um, validation or or praise or whether it will lead to some positive practical outcome like a job. <laughs> So they're, uh, you know, they're very happy for my success when it, when it comes to that. <laughs> um, if they, they, they can, they feel like they can sort of point to, oh, you know, like there's, there's this opportunity now or, um, you know, cause I mean, it is, I mean, it is their way of thinking about my well being ultimately. I, I definitely appreciate that, um, in terms of, uh, my, my financial <laughs> stability. Right. Um, but but yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're proud. Um, they've definitely expressed that um, in, in their own ways. Yeah. How did you first come to poetry? How did you come to write pro- poetry? So, yeah, I started out as a fiction writer. Uh, oh, is that right? New, yeah, I knew probably since second grade that I wanted to be a writer. It had been a dream for a long time, and I don't know. I I don't know if I would call what I wrote in at that age <laughs> um, uh, fiction. Really, um, it was kind of more fan fiction. It was also kind of like plays um, that I would have all my friends act out with me on the playground, and I was very sad when. Um, all my friends sort of graduated to uh, more, um, you know, the the accepted <laughs> games of, um, you know, uh, playing soccer or, um, you know, Foursquare. Like, you know, I, I loved coming up with, you know, our own game and our own way of playing. And so I think that has always been uh, important to me. Um, so yeah, from, from these stories and plays or skits, um, and then starting high school, um, I, I wrote more poetry, um, sort of on my own outside of, of class assignments. Um, and it was really thanks to amazing English teachers that I had, um, particularly my sophomore English teacher, um, Miss Kish, um, and, uh, senior year, Mr. Felicky, um, just, yeah, very encouraging, um, and, uh, supportive teachers, um, who would give me reading recommendations or, um, meet with me during lunch or after school, um, and talk about, um, a poem, um, that I'm working on and, you know, look it over or help me, um, practice, you know, reading it out loud, um, you know, if I was doing some kind of performance. Um, yeah, so just generous, um, brilliant people. 
Um, and then it was in college when I, I took my first uh, poetry workshop, and that was with Martina Spada at UMass Amherst. And that class just opened up so much for me. I felt just really this uh, this amazing permission from from Espada and from the class um, to to delve into um, these these personal subjects um, around um, immigration and sexuality um, and family um, in ways that I I sort I'd started to um, before, but not but really not to this degree and not with this, this sense of craft as well going into it. Um, so yeah, I'm eternally grateful for, for that workshop. I want to know what it is about poetry that drew you away from writing like, you know, fiction and plays. Mm -hmm. What was it about Mm -hmm. like poetry that really drew you that where you just sort of went toward it? What was it about poetry? Mm Mm-hmm. I think two things, um, one sort of a personal reason and, and two an aesthetic one, but the personal reason was starting high school. Um, cause prior to that, my, my writing, um, took on a very kind of social form. Um, I was sharing it a lot, uh, with friends, um, you know, like I said, on the playground or then, um, you know, I, was writing um, this this like fantasy novel in middle school, and I would share chapters of it with friends. But then in high school, um, as I was um, kind of really coming to terms with my sexuality, um, but then also thinking about my identity as as an Asian American, as a Chinese American, um, yeah, there there are just all these things I needed to work out internally, and I think that's that's a large uh, part of what pushed me uh, toward poetry, into poetry, because um, I needed to to figure these things out for myself. And there are also things that I felt I wasn't completely ready to say uh, to many people, even people that I was close to. And uh, I needed a, a space um, that felt more, more private and more interior and more... Um, uh, just emotionally, a, a place where I could, you know, emo- be emotionally honest um, on the page um, in in a very real, yeah, uh, way, much more 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 directly autobiographical, I guess. Um, and then the second the second reason, the the aesthetic reason, is um, particularly in in college when I when I took that workshop and I took other poetry workshops, I I really fell in love with the the compression that a poem requires, uh, a lyric poem in particular, um, how you have to say so much um, and sort of do so much on the page uh, in such a small space, you know, within a page or two, um, usually, to create this whole, this whole world um, and to, you know, to populate it with um, emotions and situations and complexities and surprises, uh, to do all of that. (laughs) So I, I just, I love that, that challenge. Um, uh, and every time, you know, something, something different happens. So tell me what poem you brought in to share with us, to share with the world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just, 
delighted to share this poem by Sarah Gambito. Um, it was recently published um, on poets.org as part of the Poem A Day series. Um, and uh, yeah, they ask the author um, in the series to, to say a little bit about the poem. And so I'll just read what, what Sarah said about her poem first, and I'll read the poem. She said, I wanted this poem to be an out and out blessing a zephyr that you don't have to work for. Which I just really love that idea, um, you know, in this moment of so much uh, awfulness. <laughs> uh, and I think, you know, we, we need our, our poems of outrage and poems of protest and poems of... Uh, anger um but we also need our, our poems of tenderness so this is one of those grace you will transcend your ancestors suffering you will pick a blue ball you will throw it to yourself you will be on the other side to receive green leaves grow around your face hair stands on your body. You look at old photographs that say, the bread is warm, a child is a blessing. That's what I said. I meant it. You could say, this is a poem. Like the great halves of the roof that caved and carved together. Found us before words and tender footing, before wrongdoing and the octaves of blue above us all. Oh, what a lovely poem. Yeah. This uh, episode obviously won't air today, but it's worth noting that today is election day. <laughs> yeah. I like hearing that particular poem today because I think, you know, our, our, mm. m our imaginations are, you know... <sighs> running running wild with all the possibilities of things mm -hmm. you know right. getting better getting worse you know not changing changing and it's that's just a really lovely poem to have today mm -hmm. you can find chen chen's poem called poem in his collection when i grow up i want to be a list of further possibilities out from boa editions this is Just to Say is produced at KUT Radio in Austin, Texas. I'm Carrie Fountain. Thanks for listening.